Hello everyone, it's Andre from The Mental Health and I'm here with Deborah Klein-Walker, very exciting, at the Global Alliance for Behavioural Health and Social Justice Conference in Baltimore. That's quite a mouthful, Debbie, and you've got a responsibility or a role in the, the name change. So right. First of all, tell us, yeah, yeah. Tell us about well, your history the, with this organisation. Sure, it's great to be here and, 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 and introduced to your network. Uh, the Alliance is 100 years old next year. It was started in 1923 by a group of psychiatrists who wanted to make psychiatry a broader and more dis multidisciplinary field. It was called at the time orthopsychiatry. We have a journal, the American Journal of Orthopsychiatry, which is quite successful. It, most people don't understand what that was, so a few years ago we changed the name to the Global Alliance for Behavioral Health and Social Justice. We've kept the journal the same name because it has, people know it by that name. So who's the membership of this organization? What's the ethos of this group? You know, it's a multidisciplinary group, nurses, psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, you know, and broader. A number of us are actually in the public health field as well now. So anyone who's interested in multidisciplinary work with a bent towards social justice and behavioral health. And we were talking at the Policy Institute that kicked off the conference mm -hmm. and, yeah, kind of reflecting on the continued gap between research and practice. Tell us a bit about your work in, in that field. Right. And so, and I said I had a lot to say about that. Because <laughs> in my career, I started as a researcher and thought my whole career would be in academia. I was on the faculty at Harvard and I'm still currently on the faculty at Tufts University and Boston University. But I have done a lot of thinking and work around that issue of research to policy. Naturally, all researchers want their research to be used in policy, but, but, it really has to be a very intentional process and you have to persevere for that to happen. I feel fortunate that I was a researcher who went into a policy role because I served as a associate commissioner in a State Department of Public Health for over 15 years, so I got to be the major policy maker, but I had a research background which actually I think is ideal for implementing policy using research. So what would your tips broadly be for policymakers to make sure that the policies that they create are based on the latest reliable evidence? Well, and you said the word evidence, and I was in public health. So public health to me is the practice of social justice using the best evidence you have every day. I think public health is a little bit more bent on that as a strategy and using the evidence than some of my colleagues in other areas. Not that they don't believe in good evidence, but usually in those departments, those forums, they don't have people who've had that background in research and evidence or use data that well. So it's important for organizations that include policymakers to have connections to researchers that they can trust, but those researchers they also have a role. They need to know how to present the information to policymakers, and that's a dilemma because many times they feel like they don't have enough information to answer the questions policymakers have. For instance, when I was in the health department, I asked my colleagues who were researchers, I was still in a consortium with researchers at the time, I told them I can, I can make two changes to our Medicaid program. What should I do? they couldn't answer the question because they didn't know how to take the body of research or evidence you already have to help me solve or answer the question I had. 
So that was kind of a mismatch. And I think researchers need to learn how to use the best evidence they have to be flexible to inform policymakers. Sometimes that's about presenting evidence that shows irrefutably that we should stop doing things that we're currently doing rather than coming up with new interventions or approaches. Well, that's true too, and people have to be able to hear that too as, as well. But, you know, it's not usually black and white. That's the issue I'm raising. It's not usually black and white. Researchers usually only have one little piece of a big puzzle that you have to put into a policy. It's different if you're trying to advocate to start a program that you might have evaluated, but a lot of the policy questions are much bigger that need to be informed by research. Um, I would just say I also have a framework that I like to use that was developed by our Surgeon General um, Julius Richmond and Milt Kotelchuk, who's a prominent public health researcher, and they talked about three components you had to have to develop a policy. First is the evidence-based, but second are the social strategies to get and the political will. So we have frameworks in America that we use for using those three things to get to, to action, to change policy. So I think it's naive to think that an individual piece of research or a body of research is going to impact something unless you really have knowledge of the way the process works and how long it takes. I have some good examples on that. For instance, I was in charge of the tobacco control program, which was one of the first in the United States to bring about higher prices of tobacco and smoke-free environments, etc. And first of all, it took 40 years before the evidence that we knew about tobacco and cancer even got to the place that a health department was thinking about how to do it. That happened because the attorney generals sued the tobacco companies, which brought in a lot of money to our states. But also the states had a lot of money because big advocacy coalitions, which were supported by different associations like the Cancer Society, were formed to help do this movement. In Massachusetts, we had that money, but it still took five to six years to be able to make sure we had all smoke-free workplaces and communities, etc. So that's just instructive of how intentional the process needs to be to use the the, the research you have, but also there's a huge process in terms of moving, especially when you're going up against something like the tobacco industry. So you're an example of a researcher who became a policymaker, and you spoke about the kind of strengths yeah. of that combination of skills. Do we need to educate policymakers to, to think more like researchers? Do we need a new role? We need researchers to understand policy, too. So you need both. I mean, one, and we've tried to do different things here. It's not a simple answer, but it's almost like I would love to have each be able to live in the shoes of the other one for maybe, you know, three months because you'd understand a lot more what was going on about it in terms of the two cultures. The reason it was good to be a researcher going into policy is because there really is an advantage of a researcher who knows how to use evidence being there to make those decisions. I also made sure that data systems were developed. I actually developed quite a few, and then I protected those data systems from cuts and things that come along. So that helped. So I think there's other, so I would just encourage researchers to maybe think about doing roles like that. Policy makers are not necessarily gonna go back and learn how to be researchers, but they need to engage with researchers about what they know and how they know it but they, they're, yeah, there definitely needs to be a dialogue. That's true in a trusted way.
And there's been a lot of discussion already at this conference about research that happens in communities with communities, right. co-produced, yeah. part participatory research. <clears throat> What's the role of that type of research compared to big systematic reviews and randomised yeah. controlled trials yeah. in making policy? Do policymakers think about research in those terms? Well, in public health, we do almost all of our work in communities and go to communities presenting evidence and data we have in a very user-friendly way. And, you know, there's a lot of examples of that. I mean, it, it tends to do that more in terms of government roles, at least in America, than other organizations. The researchers that are talking here are doing really good work in community, but I don't think it's connecting to the policy people in their community or above it. So we need to do better about that. Yes, community-informed and citizen-informed and family-informed stuff is important. But I also want to raise to you that I believe in Bronfenbrenner's uh, socio-ecological model, he was a developmental psychologist too, that he developed in 1964 actually, but it's widely used, which is terrific. But you know, he has those rings, the individual, the family, the community, and the society. I maintain that a lot of people who talk about community neglect thinking about society. Because in the United States, many things that can be done in the community are put in place by policies and economic, social, whatever, that those communities are in that impact on what they truly can do. So I think we need to do a better job when we talk about community of talking about the influences of the outside on that community. I, I think we stop there. So that's just a, a little pet peeve of mine. <laughs> it, it means it all action is local, all public health is local, just as my ex... Uh, Congressman said all politics is local. I totally get that. But you, if you do not think about the levers that the society and even global society place on that community, then you can't really maximize everything that could happen there. Finally, I just want to ask you um, advice for early career researchers yep. who are doing work that they are inspired to do, that they have a kind of personal interest sure. in. And that's, you know, it's been a key part of this conference so far. How can they ensure that the work they do has the biggest impact? On yeah, that's a huge question. Well, first of all, <clears throat> I was just here and mentoring a lot of stu students. First of all, in my career, I started out as an academic and I thought I was going to be an academic forever. I did do a lot of work in communities trying to get things implemented, so I went into a government job. And it really good place to do that. And then after that, I went into uh, work for a big uh, group that did all kinds of research for the, for the country. So I never thought that I'd be in different places. The reason I'm saying that is I think you cannot do it all at one time in your lifetime. So you have to think more strategically. A young researcher who's going into research because they really want to do good in social justice, that's terrific. I would say you really have to hone and focus on those skills as a researcher get your foothold in that, using the best community-based procedures, being involved in the community. Then when you really want to start thinking about translating your research, which takes a while to accumulate a body, then maybe think a little bit more intentionally about how you're going to impact on those different policymakers you want to change, whether it's at the local, state, or federal level in the United States. But the other thing I would advise them to do is be parts of networks like a global alliance, like a public health association, or a discipline association who have an emphasis on policy so that as you're doing that research and coming up with your body of research, 
you are learning about policy and how to be involved in that. Thanks so much for talking to me. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm.